Cancel culture is real. CrossPolitik is on the front lines of this battle with the goal of creating a Christian television network and platform where we can't be canceled and where content creators will have the freedom to glorify God. Our goal is to create a space for like-minded businesses to thrive on this platform and to reach an audience that will not only buy your products and services, but also support your business when the heat of cancel culture comes your way. We want our platform to help you create an anti-fragile business as we bring together Christians from all over the world to tune in. With millions of downloads a year, access to DirecTV, Xfinity, and social media outlets, we are excited to partner with you. So, if you own a business and believe in this vision, then you need to call me. I'm Garrison Hardy, and I am the business development rep at CrossPolitik and the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We are looking for businesses, large or small, that not only have great products and services, but also understand that the cultural battle that is impacting the business climate here and now. I have a background in marketing, and I'd love to help you advertise your business on CrossPolitik. Give me a call at 208-792-1290 or email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. Eric Metaxas, mm, he came not, on our show. What? Been waiting for that. He came on our show. You know, whenever we have kind of a, an, a, a, a more famous interview co- interviewer come on our show, I never talk about it, but I talked about it on my water break show on Thursday. You did? I did. You always like, think you're going like, to curse it, it or did. something? I know. I thought I was. I thought I was going to jinx it and everything. <laughs> I thought you were a Christian. You shouldn't but Eric, stuff Eric like made that. it on, and Dr. Rod Story made it on later, third yeah. segment, to talk about the uh, coronavirus vaccine and so forth. Really good stuff with both Eric Metaxas and Dr. Rod Story. Mm. Cross politic Sunday special. Good to have you guys with us. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox, I'm the water boy. Hey, yeah. Uh, really uh, appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. This is America. On, on, it this is America. America. This is America. Uh, <laughs> and in America, everybody can eat. Well, that remains to be seen. Good to still. be with you on NRB TV, Xfinity. <laughs> uh, we are also on Edify podcast uh, app on a network, podcast mm. network. And, of course, our podcast. Make sure you download our network. We just started. I did you know, you asked me offline, said, hey, what else are you not telling me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You see what I'm, I mean? glad, uh, I'm glad you asked. I've done dumb things. I'm glad I'll do you dumb asked. dumb things again. If you, pull up, if you pull up your app. Lie, lie, lie. Lie, lie, <laughs> lie. If you pull up your app, you can go um, to uh, Canada on your app. and You can, you can go see, to Canada. Yep, you can see that. Joe Boot is now dropping his podcast Stop. on our network. Joe on Boot? our network. You a liar. Are you for real? I'm dead serious. Ezra Joe Institute Podcast Boot. for Cultural Reformation. Salute. He dropped his first Salute. podcast on our, and the only place you can get his podcast uh, is on our app. It's not true. Um, and on some of his stuff in Canada, too. <laughs> um, hey, that's but On our network. But on our network. You got <laughs> la, 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 la. But on our network, you can actually get Joe Boot on I our Actually, yep. here's the thing. I knew about this already, even before this show. It was one of the first times I ever knew about something that Gabe was going to announce on the show. How did you find out about it? I pulled... Um, what kind of privilege you got? I think Joe Boot shared it, or somebody shared it on Facebook today. And I was sitting there in the airport trying <sighs> to get back home. Yeah. And I click on it, and it's in our app. I pull it up on my app. 
And I listened to the first five minutes of it. Oh, good. And they Trip were very, very clear that you can still listen to their podcast anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs> but they are also on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. That's right. That's right. Gabe kind of said the same thing, but not quite. But not quite. Yeah. <laughs> lie, lie, lie. Lie, lie, lie. <laughs> Don't be limited by network restrictions when mm. it comes to choosing the best health care provider and treatments for your family. Something that our government has forgotten in most of our country is that you are responsible for your health care decisions. So Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians, 280,000 members strong. You're killing it. You know that one of the best states is pay, Texas? Really? Just saying. Yeah. Just down, saying. down, down, down. I'm not even giving it to them. No, you're not even. Because <laughs> I know about the Joe Boot stuff, and I'm just a little upset about that. Uh-oh. <laughs> So, anyways, 280,000 members strong, some of whom live in Texas, mm. who pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. Right. Texas know how to take care of each other. Um, Shoot. You did it? Why are you doing that? It's a reflex. Right. So, consider this. A medical emergency arises. You don't have to check with an insurance company to ask about what hospital to go to, what doctor to use. Yeah. You just... Go. You do what you believe is best for your family. You take care of it. That's still legal? It, uh, <laughs> well, we, as far as we know. So far. Joe, President Joe don't know about it Uncle yet. Daddy? Uncle mm-hmm. Daddy don't know about it yet. After care is received, your medical bills that they send to you, you just send directly to Samaritan Ministries, and then they notify members, and those members pray for you, yeah. and then send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. It's biblical. It's affordable. And you can join today. I or members. I'm members of Samaritan. Yeah. And uh, it's been great. Uh, when the body of Christ comes together to pray, encourage, and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. So learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash cross politic. This is America, and in America, everybody can eat. I love that sound. That is 100%. Um, have you guys been paying attention to how uh, Joe Biden, um, Vice President Biden, and President Uncle Kamala Daddy Harris? Joe. You like how I just did that? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Vice President Biden and Kami, Vice President Kami Harris. <laughs> um, they've been bragging about how the economy's been a roaring success. It's never grown in, in a, as fast as any in the history of any other president's first, first year in office, all that stuff. I don't trust them. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, when you um, when you break it down to zero and you get anything, you kind of can. <laughs> but they've, they've been going around saying right. that they're three point how many trillion? Five, three point five. Costs at this point. nothing. Zero. Well, zero. well, because because Americans have been costs zero. They've been pretty dumb about their math because lie, of the public lie, school lie, system lie, for lie. a long time. <laughs> it, they got that public school math. Is oh, what it is? Public school, right? Because public schools are free. Yeah. Right? Mm. No. That's right. Well, the most recent jobs report came out, and um, you can tell that Toby's been traveling out of the studio. 194,000 jobs were added in the last in the last quarter, last month. Okay, as By whom? Projected. Who added them jobs? What they projected, Dow Jones projected an estimated 100,000 jobs in the last month. Okay. So that's okay. a little under. So they underperformed based off, you know, kind of market projections on what should have happened. What are you talking about? Who underperformed? The economy. The the uh, economy. American economy. Okay. Okay. But but part of the problem you got to remember, okay? So I mean, every month they've been underperforming on jobs even though we've been gaining back jobs that were right. lost during the pandemic. Mm. And the thing is, uh, the Biden administration is trying to take credit for this economy. 
But the problem is, is we could have a dead president in the office and still get the same result. We kind of do have a we have a resident in, in, in the office and still kind of getting the same results. What do you mean by that? Be, because we had an artificial shutdown. The oh. economy was doing fine. Right. And then our city council freaked out. Our governor mm. of Idaho freaked out. You know, uh, President uh, Trump did not handle this well at no. all. He let all these dominoes fall, too. He freaked out. Um, New York Governor Cuomo, they all freaked out. In fact, we come to find out, like last week, a bunch of hospitals got a bunch of money from the pandemic and everything. Yeah, yeah. And so we had this artificial economy, and now that we just kind of— Artificial depression. Artificial depression. That's right. right. Yeah. And, right. and now we just kind of— uh, you know, free all the slaves, right. and, and business starts happening again. <laughs> right, right, and, and, and like, now they're, 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 we're going back to work. And Biden, yeah, Biden's like, hey, look, the best economy, economy ever. <laughs> you know, and so we got this jobs report That's where it's good. like it's still underperforming. Yeah, but here's the thing: uh, this is a really uh, interesting article. You guys go to it, the links will be to it in the show um, in the show notes. But um, it, it's titled it's from msn.com. America is running out of everything. So in this artificial uh, shutdown that we did, we screwed up all sorts of supply chains. Right. And we screwed up all sorts of, you know, um, labor. Uh, uh, we and, and now what we're seeing is we kind of like to have this high, artific- high demand because everyone can everyone had money and then the government gave everybody money. Right. right. And, and now there's this high demand, but nothing to really kind of fill it. Well, because we told everybody to go home. This is I reported right. this on the Daily News Brief. You know, the, um, the sea fairies. Not real fairies with me, but but, but see, Wait a the, the people who you're take, not going to talk about real sea fairies. Well, they're real sea fairies. They are real like, people like, who are. Oh, sea you, fairies. you mean like F E R R? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to spell it for Toby. But what was what's been interesting is that the reason that we've seen a lot of supply chain mess up is because when the whole coronavirus thing went down, they were on sea. Yeah. And some of them couldn't go back to their homes for 18 months. Mm. And when they did decide to go, there was a story about one of them that went to uh, Japan. And when they went to Japan, they had been vaccinated already. Yeah. But Japan didn't recognize their vaccination. So they had to get vaccinated again. Oh. Well, they go to another place, had to get oh. vaccinated again. It's like a Baptist church. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Where, How where many times re- have you been baptized? <laughs> this is my 19th time. My, my dear grandma, love her to death. She is sweet and she she's Baptist lady yeah uh-huh. loves the Lord Jesus but she even look at me I asked her one time about how many times she'd been baptized she said, she said Toby I can't even remember how many times I've been baptized <laughs> she said I told them I was already baptized and they said you gotta get baptized again she said I've been baptized so many times you know I, I wow. can't remember how many times I've been baptized you know yeah. I, almost every revival yeah. I got yeah. baptized again so yeah, right. it's kind of like that yeah but it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, you know we are the salt of the earth and the nations of the earth are following the, the, the example <laughs> of, of the churches and they, we, uh-huh. ain't, we ain't know if you've been given the sign of the, the vaccine or well, not. That, that's the thing. Some people have been vaccinated up to six times. Yeah. Because, and so it was a horrible thing to ask. But are they still alive? But Yes. <laughs> probably barely. <laughs> probably maybe, barely. But, maybe I'll give a little more credence to the FDA after all. <laughs> but that's what they were asking for. They were like, can you guys please yeah. come together and make a decision on what to do? We don't even care what it is. We just want to be able to get off. Look, if you're at sea for six weeks or sometimes longer and yeah. you get off just to get... 20 minutes of a walk in or stretch yeah. it makes it kind of all worth it but if you can't even go home to your family right who wants to do that job right. so that's adding uh. so we got supply chain issues because the government shut a bunch of stuff down yeah, yeah. and so you've got factories that are getting shut down so they can't create stuff you got um truck drivers and so on you oh got, yeah you the, got the shipping industry you're yeah, talking yeah. about plus all the medical 
um, limitations, right. the vaccine requirements right. and so on. And, and you got to make sure you have the right vax. Yes. Right. Um, this is, and, and people are, I mean, kind of getting fed up with some of these regulations and not, they don't want, I mean, who wants that job? Well, and here's the thing. The reason that we shut things down was because of how fragmented we've been thinking about this whole setup. Right. And this, this is one of the things that has. It's I mean, a government education thing. It's exactly <laughs> right. No, you're exactly right. Government free, education. Free public school. But it's, but it's not just in the math. No, it's, right. and so you know, I, this is an old story now, and everybody's kind of heard about it. But it's it really is the problem. Um, there's, I think, Washington Western University came yep. out with their affinity rooms. Is that, is that the one that's just right up here? Up it's about street? an hour and a half up. up uh, are you serious? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know so, where it was. Okay, so um, we gotta go there. Yeah. <laughs> you wanna go there? Well, if we do, I'm probably relegated to this new affinity room. <laughs> <laughs> How's your affinity going in there, not? Yeah. So this is affinity room for black people so that they can have kind of like their own safe space and environment. Mm. And what they've done. Is that kind of like a quarantine? It, well, oh. it might as well be. It's a but, black uh, quarantine. Uh, yeah. You black A. I guess. And what everybody is getting. It's a safe space. <clears throat> what everybody is understanding about this, and I think rightly so, and they're getting at it. A lot of the conservatives say, oh, this is segregation. And they right. get that. They, right. They're not wrong about that. This right. is the great grandkids of segregationists who are sitting up there doing the same thing that their grandparents did. Man. And they're sitting up there doing it, though this time. Saying, but we like you with permission. <laughs> but we like They're you. They're like, can we please get separate water fountains? And and what's and what's crazy yeah, about right. this is that education doesn't stay in its own four walls. It actually comes out right. and it it is pushed through the world. Wait, you're saying this is a result of the education? This is a result, and and yeah, because they're, what they're doing is test driving their uh, ideas of fragmented uh, thinking inside of their schools first. This On is why they're segregating yes. everybody, yep. right. and it's crazy because the university was supposed to be a place where you had people coming together for the purpose of figuring out or understanding truth right. from all different backgrounds right, right. And, and coming together right. for truth but if you take university yeah university um yeah that's right university right, right. and that's but for, i'm that's thinking called. universe no no I'm, I'm just, i was going to break down the latin which is universus which is coming together and then veritas which is yeah, truth right. Right. well if you take Christ out of that, then you don't get any education that's unified. Right. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So yeah. if you take Christ out of this, then you get fragmented thinking. Right. And that's what you see inside of yeah. what they're doing. But that fragmented thinking isn't just inside of their affinity rooms. It's coming out in their politics. Right. What happens when somebody has had 16 years of fragmented education, right. becomes then an advisor for the President of the United States? You've got a fragmented brain. <laughs> Or they become a teacher, or they become a pastor, or they become yeah. somebody who is um, yeah. who is now your governor. Right. Well, they're the ones who are creating that type of world that's fragmented because, yeah. and, and that's what we've all done this whole year. Yeah. Everybody has been thinking. We are just as guilty as the people in these colleges because all of us have been making fragmented decisions. And when you can't think in the in the line of how things should flow and go and and, and supply chains. Need to have somebody thinking robustly about right. the world, and who, if you make this decision, it's going to have a domino effect. Yeah. Right. Nobody's been thinking right. like that. None right. of us have. And so, but it hasn't been something that's been happening in the dark. The whole reason that we got a supply chain anyway was because of unified universities, right? right. Truth right. and and people come together around Christ to figure out, hey, how right. do we serve the world better? Well, uni universities right. create right. communities, right? That's when, right. when you have it, when you think in a unified way with Christ at the center, you have you think in a community. Uh, That's right. Way. That's right. You, That's see, right. you see how all truth is united in Christ. You, you love your how, neighbor. You see how he's Lord of 
all, yeah. right. all things. And so you, you want to see the connections between things. And that creates, actually creates economies. That's right. It actually creates supply chains. That's, That's right. right. It says, how, yep. how can we, how can we serve and love our neighbor mm-hmm. by thinking upstream? What do we need? What does my neighbor need? Right. That's right. Um, I don't think people understand that what we've gotten this last year, couple of years, um, is actually the, the, the result, the direct result of the success of fragmented thinking. That's yep. right. It's the right. success yes. of the government education system. That's yep. right. Right. They, they can't, they can't think outside little tiny specified boxes. Yep. Um, and so that's what you have. You have a fragmented economy, a fragmented culture and increasingly fragmented communities. That's right. Because they've been taught to think in a fragmented way. Well, and this is Dr. J. Bhattacharya's point about how we've treated the whole pandemic. We've just focused on the problem of the coronavirus. Right. That's right. We didn't focus right. on we did. all exactly. the other problems coming right. with public health. Right. What Suicide you, rates. Yeah. You know, go down the list, right? right? Yeah. What do we, what, what is, what is this doing to quality of life? That's right. What is this doing to supply chains? Yep. What is this doing to families? The coronavirus is the only thing we should focus on right. and everyone else should go to their house and stop working for two weeks right. to crush the curve. Well, which, which interestingly, I, I, we talked about this a little bit on, um, earlier this week, but, um, I think this is one of the reasons why there is a massive opportunity here. Yes. For, for Christians who are willing to think with Christ at the center. Don't forget this. Yep. Um, is, so while the world is thinking like this, yes. they can only see the virus or they can only see this narrow little strip of land in front of them, the problems yep. right in front of them, um, employment, whatever. Christian, back up. Jesus owns this place. That's right. He runs this place and it serves, everything serves him despite all the, the chaos and the rebellion. And that means that there are people getting fired, people getting let go, people being discriminated against, people begin being hated and shunned. Yep. And they are many of them thoughtful people. Yeah. Many of them. That's right. Who, who are seeing, saying, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to be in a p- place where I'm being forced. I mean, you got, um, uh, sage steel. That's right. And other people yeah. saying, you know, I don't mind if you want to do your choice thing, but I don't want to be mandated. Right. I don't want to be forced to do this. And Christians think right now we have supply chain problems. Yeah. We, we have, um, product problems. Yep. Hey, you got two hands. Solve it. You got a, you got a, Solve you got a, you got a strong it. back. Are you able to do communication? Are you able to coordinate? Can you think through um, the, the, the supply, supply chain, chain breakdown? Yeah, then, of course you right. can. Then jump in with both feet. Right. What, what can you do in your community? And, and I would say specifically, think practically about what your community needs. What are the, what are the needs around you right now? What does your family need? What does your church need? Yeah. Um, this is an opportunity. Um, you know, our, our friends at Red Balloon. Yeah. I mean, this right. is an example of, yeah. of, of Andrew Krabbyshutz, our friend who's, who's been involved in this for a long time saying, Hey, I just want to help my community. And in right. the process, he's trying to connect employers and employees who believe in free speech. Right. You know, this is the thing that has been really encouraging. As I step back and look at this, seeing all the mess and, and think, Pastor, you've kind of jogged my mind on this is that there is a reset happening. And I don't even think there's a great reset happening. And we shouldn't be afraid of that in one sense because it's the person who's doing the reset that we should be concerned about. Yeah. This is God's reset. Right. If Jesus and, wants to reset this place, we're yeah. ready for that. And here's what he's doing. He's reunifying his people around an education institutions, around churches who fear right. God, yeah. who are gathering around Christ. And so we're getting a different kind of unifying effect where people are moving from across the country to say, well, how do you feel about Christ? Okay, this is a place that I can fight. How right. do you feel about education? Right. How Christ thinks about education? How do you feel about supply chains? All that stuff. And so what you have is these people who are bringing their kids up, 
Now, yeah. what does that look like with 16 years right. of, of, of university, right? And what does that look like when it hits the yeah. ground running in the culture? And well, what does that and, supply and chain give us? Part of what it looks like under the blessing of God is Moscow. Amen. I, yeah. I mean, Amen. I, and, yeah. and I'm not trying to toot our own horn or anything yeah. like that. I'm just saying 40 years of classical education. That's just, right. Logos School just celebrated 40 years this fall. Yeah. That's Started right. in 1981. Incredible. Um, and it's not an accident. Yep. That's it's right. not an accident. When, when, when children are being brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and when they're being taught that all things cohere in Christ. That's right. right. All truth is united in Jesus Christ. And if you know him and walk with him, um, you the world opens up to you. That's right. It's not an accident that these people are having kids, uh, and, and now their kids are on the verge of having their kids, and they're starting businesses. They're yep. being fruitful. Here in our town. They're multiplying. Yep. They're starting businesses. They're starting um, yep. um, churches. They're, That's they're, right. And it's, and it's spreading. Yeah. And and it takes work. It takes time. It takes 40 years. It, it, I mean, that's, that's a generation yeah. right there. And it takes faithfulness. It's not overnight, yeah. but when you labor faithfully, when you plant the seeds of the gospel, of the that's word, right. and you trust, God blesses. And, and it really is 30, 60, 100 fold. Amen. Look, one of my favorite stories is Daniel Spratt. He started listening to our show yeah. four or five years ago. Yeah. He yeah. Start, he's planted a church since then. Now they're working on Kansas. A, now they're working on a school. I mean, it's like, check them out. Run that play. Is Atheism Dead? Duh. <laughs> Eric Metaxas comes up next with his new book to tell us about why he wrote Is Atheism Dead? Next. Eric Metaxas on, on Cross, Cross Politics. Politics. Yeah. In 2016, we found out that our youngest son, Asher, had cancer. And I will just never forget crying in the lobby of the hospital on the phone with the Samaritan Ministries person on the other end who was, you know, who ended the call saying, let's just pray about this. When it does hit you and you really wonder what's going to happen, it worked. It continues to be affordable, it works, and it pays the bills. Politic. We had. Oh wait. I mean, they had. Yeah, because you left us. A great conversation with Eric Metaxas, New York Times number one best-selling author, Martin Luther. If you can keep it, Bonhoeffer, miracles, yep. seven women, seven men, amazing grace. Yeah. He's the host of the Eric Metaxas Radio Show. Good show, too. Nationally syndicated, heard yep. in more than 120 cities. Ooh. He lives in Manhattan with his wife and his daughter, and he was here. Virtually, yes, via yeah. Zoom, yes, and um, and it was and and they didn't even ask him about punching the guy. I didn't even know we he didn't did know. that. We yeah. didn't know. Yeah. That's what him. So, anyways, enjoy. Okay, Eric, uh, your book is Atheism Dead. You, you started. Well, let me let me take this here. I'm a presuppositional apologetics. Are you kind of familiar with that terminology? I don't know if I am, so you'll have to you'll have to j- just go with it. I think I think uh, I think I am, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. So just real quick, presuppositional apologetics is basically I assume uh, everything God says is true in His Word. So I assume the foundation is God, His Word, and that's what's true, and that's what everything is founded off of. Um, there's kind of another form of apologetics where it's kind of more classical evidentiary kind of form of apologetics, which is kind of seems what your book is kind of hitting on, you know, kind of looking at the evidence and saying, okay, here's, here's God from kind of this, this archeological evidence or this kind of scientific evidence. Here's how we get to God. Right. Um, no, that's true. That's actually true. That's actually true. Okay. I mean, obviously that's fair. Okay. I believe that everything uh, in the scripture is true. There's not even any question, but 
I find that in my book, the two work together because mm-hmm. part of my apologetic in this book is to say to people, okay, like, for example, I say we discovered biblical Sodom. When you look at that, if your mind isn't blown, you're not paying attention. Uh-huh. It's mind blowing. Yeah. But then you have to stop and say, okay, let's go backward. How did we find Sodom? How did this archaeologist find it so that all these scientists can corroborate, yes, this was destroyed by uh, an asteroid, blah, 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 blah. How, right. how did we get there in the first place? Right. Here's how we got there from reading Genesis. He went to Genesis, Stephen Collins, the archaeologist I, I write about in the book. And he's yeah. one of the reasons I wrote the book, because when I discovered this, I said somebody needs to to let the world know about this discovery. And then along with that. There's a lot of scientific discoveries just from the world of science and on and on and on. But he was reading Genesis. He was he was down um, in a hotel room down by the southern part of the Dead Sea, where some biblical archaeologists, believers had said, if Sodom and Gomorrah existed, it's probably down here. And he said, wait a second. I really respect these guys who say this, but not according to the scripture. Hmm. The scripture says and he, 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 he read it, it really hit him. He said, the scripture makes it clear, these cities were on what's called the Kikar Plain, this fertile plain around the Jordan River, north of the Dead Sea. So he says, we're, we're not even looking there. Mm-hmm. If the scripture says that's where it is, I know that's where it is. So I might not be able to find it, but if anybody can find it, they're not going to find it on the other place because the scripture makes it clear. Yeah. So sure enough, because of his faith in the scripture and what it says he searched that area he found a what's called a tell which is a you know one of these monumental mounds which have been cities on top of cities on top of cities over millennia nobody had excavated he says i think this is it he excavates uh and and the rest is uh archaeological history but it's literally because he took the scripture that seriously and that to me that's not the kind of thing you can prove to a non-believer, but if they're open-minded, mm-hmm. they're going to say, well, that sure is a little weird and a little interesting. So, uh, so I, I think to some extent I use both of those mm. types of apologetic in the book. Well, well, what I found with, with you particularly, you know, I brought up uh, presuppositional apologetics and kind of this evidentiary kind of classical form of apologetics, but what I found even, I thought was even more powerful with you particularly is like how you write story. You know, you write, mm-hmm. you wrote about Bonhoeffer, Wilberforce, um, uh, Luther, Martin Luther. I read that. I read that book also. But I think even more of a powerful argument that you present is kind of like the story of bringing it all together. Um, you know, th- I think that's been very effective with what you've done uh, um, in I writing think, story. I think you're right about that. And I even noticed it while I was writing this book. I'll give you an example. I, um, I have been paying attention to evidence from the world of science, and I was always amazed that most believers aren't really familiar with this. They need to know science is pointing to God. It's like freaky stuff, and it's only in the last decades. So I had my eye on that. I had my eye on the archaeological evidence, and there were really there was there was really one main story I wanted to tell, which I just mentioned was this recent discovery of biblical Sodom. It's one of the most amazing stories there is. And because I think I'm good at telling stories by God's grace, I said, I really want to tell this story so people get it. So they don't just hear something. But once you get all the details of how it happened, it it comes alive even more. So I thought, you know, to go around that, I'm just going to mention some other archaeological discoveries over the last, you know, decades and so on and so forth. But what's really interesting to me is 
a few of those that I was just going to list, just going to describe, I realized there's a weird story behind it. Uh, And nobody's really told the weird story. And the weird story is so funny, so entertaining, so interesting that it makes the whole thing come to life. And the the three uh, examples that pop into my mind, well, there's several, but the discovery of the Hittites, which the scripture refers to the Hittites over and over and over. We hear about Uriah the Hittite. We hear nothing in archaeology or in the uh, in classical literature, in the literature of antiquity, ever mentioned the Hittites. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people said that's a classic example of the Bible's just blown smoke, making it up. The discovery of the Hittites in history is just an amazing story, and it's a tremendous corroboration of the Bible as historically accurate. It's a wild, weird story. But the stories of three things that I mentioned in the book, the Dead Sea Scroll discovery, the discovery of the uh, silver uh, Katef Hinnom scrolls in 1979, uh, and then in about 1879, the discovery of what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Every one of those three things, you know, you can find them if you look into biblical archaeology, but the three stories that go along with those three discoveries are themselves so funny and fascinating and weird. Those three stories, I couldn't believe this revolve around. This is over a hundred years, right? One's 1878. One is uh, what? 1947. uh, And the other one is 1979. In each of these three monumentally important cases of the discovery of evidence from archeology, span each of those three cases involves a badly behaved boy one badly behaved boy in 1878 one in 1949 and one in in 1979 i said this is like god's sense of humor three kids boys misbehaving the way boys do going where they shouldn't go doing what they shouldn't do and in each of these three cases they stumble on the greatest archaeological finds in history i said you, can you make this up? I mean, it, it would be crazy if there were two stories. There are three. So I put them in one chapter. And I, I just I think people remember things when they read stories better That's than right. if you just say, hey, they discovered this thing and here's why it's significant. So, uh, yeah, I think stories are really important. And, and I found, as I said, in writing this book, it's got all this exciting information, but the stories help you kind of appreciate the details of it why why did you write is atheism dead i mean it, it isn't atheism wasn't it never alive in the first place be, because it denied well, god I mean, that's correct that gets to a larger like meta narrative of how we process information right like you might know something like you and i know jesus is lord amen but so what the world doesn't know it and we have to communicate what is true uh even though we know it's true we have to figure out a way to communicate it there are a lot of stuff there are a lot of things that are true that are even discovered to be true, but no one knows about it. Uh, so the reason I wrote the book in a nutshell is this. Um, I, by God's grace, was led to two people, to two extraordinary men, one in Albuquerque. Uh, the other is in uh, Houston. Okay. The, the guy in Houston, the, they become friends, is Dr. James Tour. He's probably the greatest nanoscientist on planet Earth. I write mm. about him in several chapters in this book. Yep. Super genius, organic chemist. He uh, and I met, and he starts talking to me about something that you never hear anyone talk about. And that's what kind of got my attention. I said, 
you know, Christians, non-Christians, we always argue about it, evolution and all this stuff. I said, this guy's talking about what happened before even mm. the possibility of evolution. In other words, evolution requires life. <laughs> How did we get to the first life? We know it didn't evolve, okay? You're going from non-life, stuff that is not even slightly alive, stuff like silver and ammonia and oxygen and nitrogen. And what. There's no life on the early earth. And science says four billion years ago, suddenly the most primitive life, single-celled life, comes into being. Right. So you say, okay, Mr. Scientist, uh, uh, let's say I accept that. How did that <laughs> life come into being? Do you know? And you could ask believers, non-believers, people get a funny look on their face because no one ever talks about this. Right. And James Tour told me why no one ever talks about this. And he's the expert. Nobody knows more about the molecular level than this guy. So he says, he reminds me, you probably had it on a test in eighth grade or 11th grade or something that in uh, 1952, there was an experiment in the University of Chicago where some grad students ran electricity yes. through this prebiotic soup, right? They said, okay, the early earth had maybe had these elements on it in some kind of a saline solution churning around, and it was struck by lightning, and that's probably the first step. So they did that, and they got some amino acids. Well, they and the whole world said, holy guacamole, we figured it out. We're off to the races. That's step one. It's only a matter of time before we find steps two, three, four, five, six. We're, we're on our way. We figured out how life came into being without God. Right. There's one small problem. No, we didn't. Right. In 1952, they were all excited. They were ignorant enough. They didn't know enough science to know where the science is going to take them. And they predicted it's going to take us into figuring this out. Well, James Tour says it's been seven decades. And not only haven't they moved the ball forward a millimeter on this issue because they were so confident that they would. They haven't even moved the ball forward. They've moved the ball backwards. The more we learn from science, the more we've learned in these seven decades, the more we know there's not a ghost of a chance that life came into being the way we thought it might have seven decades ago. Right. But who's going to talk about it? What mm. scientist is going to bravely raise his hand and say, hey, guess what? In seven decades, here's what we figured out. We have no clue. We have less than no clue. We now know that the single cell, which we thought was no big deal, is so complex that even the idea that something with this DNA coding that's like a computer, that, that something like that could just kind of emerge from random sloshing and electric, there's not a chance. That's right. Who's going to volunteer that? So nobody talks about it. So when Jim Tour told me this, I said, that's one of the biggest pieces of apologetics for faith that I've heard in a long time. Mm. The world needs to know that seven decades in, we are now yeah. reasonably sure that we don't have a clue from science how life emerged, right? Yeah. So that piece, plus uh, bumping into Stephen uh, Collins, who discovered biblical Sodom, I, I said, nobody knows about that. This is huge evidence from science, huge evidence from archaeology. But the way it came together for me is I said, you know what? This evidence from archaeology is just the biggest, latest piece nobody knows about. There's all this other evidence. I need to put that in a book. There's this big piece from James Tour about abiogenesis, about this idea of life coming from non-life. He nails it. He speaks with authority on this issue. But there's all this other evidence. I need to put that in a book. And it hit me. 
50 whatever years ago, Time Magazine came out with the title cover article, Is God Dead? Yeah. In 1966, right. the evidence was essentially pointing to the idea that, hey, we know science and faith are at odds. We know there's not really compatibility. We know that science is leading us away from this primitive thing called faith. Well, guess what? We are exactly, ironically, in the opposite position. Mm -hmm. We have not been paying attention for 50-something years because we thought the question was settled. God is probably dead. We're not going to talk about the details. The evidence has been piling up and up. So I said the question to ask now is not, is God dead? It's, is atheism dead? Because once you look at this evidence that's been piling up quietly with nobody paying attention, mm. it's freaky. It's, it's kind of like waking up and it's been snowing all night and the snow is piled up against your door. You can't open your door. You, 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 you had yeah. no clue it was snowing. You weren't paying attention. You were sleeping. And suddenly here it is. The evidence from science, the evidence from archaeology and the evidence from a number of other things I talk into is so overwhelming the only honest question to ask today is, is atheism dead? Maybe you want to be an agnostic. You've got your doubts. Maybe atheism, I argue, is no longer tenable. You know, it's funny because going through your book, all I could think about was over and over again. It seemed like to me, Eric, that, that you kept answering the question, is science catching up to the Bible? And it seems like it's finally starting to understand the truth that the Bible has been proclaiming for a long time. And one of the things that has been interesting um, watching this in our current time situation with science right now and believing the science, we'll get there in a second. But watching people, uh, the story about Albert Einstein, who was able to do science, come to a conclusion that didn't look like everybody else's conclusion, but because of the community and the environment he was in, he couldn't actually feel comfortable speaking the truth that he had understood. I, listen, that is one of my favorite stories in the book. And of course, I start the book with that story. Imagine this is an important thing. Thanks for bringing that up, because imagine that everybody in this world is insecure, that somebody's going to look at them funny, like, well, you're weird. I can't believe you're, you're into that religious stuff. Right. Imagine scientists are that way today. Mm. But you kind of think in 1911, one of the greatest scientists who ever lived on planet Earth, Albert Einstein, he was so insecure. Mm. This is not your average scientist trying to keep a job at a university. <laughs> Albert Einstein was himself insecure because of this overwhelming secular narrative, because of this lie, this 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 uh, myth of atheism that faith is at odds with science, that when his own equations in 1911 led him to think, yes, the universe is expanding, which implies expanding from what? From some point in the past, meaning it had a beginning. That was scary to Einstein because he said, that sounds too much like creationism. <laughs> that sounds too much like the Bible. I'm a scientist. I, I, I can't talk about this. Imagine he was so insecure that he tries to bury it. He, he, he bakes in this kind of fudge factor so that so that, you know, it, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. And then over the years, a Russian Jew named Friedman, a uh, uh, the, the famous astronomist uh, uh, Edwin Hubble, uh, and also the yep. uh, Belgian Catholic priest, George Lemaitre, all three of them confront him at different times and say, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Albert Einstein, you're right. The universe is expanding. Why are you trying to hide this? <laughs> so eventually, I think it's 1929 in Pasadena, he comes out of the closet and says, yes, I was wrong. The universe looks like it's expanding. And 
trying to hide it in 1911 and all these years was the greatest stupidity of my life. He admits it that not following the science where it led embarrassed him, not following the facts where they led embarrassed him, believing this secular narrative that science is at odds with faith that made him feel embarrassed about revealing what he found was the greatest blunder of his life. Mm. And so I tell that story in part to say, this is not a new thing. This has been going on Mm. really since the end of the 19th century, that scientists themselves, even the great Albert Einstein, have been uncomfortable with faith implications. Well, now, if you're uncomfortable with faith implications, you're in big trouble because science is pointing to faith everywhere you turn. A lot of that, of course, is in my book, but a lot of that is in in uh, in the books that I read to write this book. It's it's gotten to a point where it's overwhelming, and it is logical to ask: Is atheism dead? You know, um, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. I got no, this. I got this. No. Eric, Eric answers the questions really good, really meaty, but in such a way where you have to buy the book because he's missing a lot of details in his answers. Well, he does. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? You know what I'm saying? We, don't, like, we don't have time for the. For I know. The de- we have time for the details. I'm happy to get. No, Listen, this is. Great. I want people to buy this book. That's right. More than any book I've written because I believe, and I say this bluntly. I believe the Lord has allowed us to a point in our culture where we're going to see a sea change. I think genuinely right now we're seeing a sea change in our culture. I believe we're on the verge of revival, Mm. and I believe the Lord is going to use some of what I put in this book to bolster Christians and to make them say, what is wrong with me? How how have Mm. I been shy about my faith or insecure about my faith? Anybody who should be embarrassed is somebody that says there is no God. The evidence has become so overwhelming. And I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, you guys know because you've seen the book. This is just stuff that we have not talked about. That's right. We have not looked into. So by putting it in this book, I said this is going to arm believers in a way that it, it gets me very excited. And I can't take credit. It's not like I spent 30 years researching this. This is just stuff that over the years I picked up. And it was only in the last few years that the Lord brought James uh, Tour in Houston uh, and uh, Stephen Collins in Albuquerque into my life and sort of gave me these two gigantic pieces of apologetics. And I said, you know what? There's so much else. I'm going to make these the the main points, but I'm going to write about all the other stuff around it that I've never put in a book before. And I'm going to look at atheism itself. I'm convinced that people who are either uh, believers or non-believers, a lot of non-believers, I think they're they're going to privately say we've, we've missed something and they're going to realize we're living at a time where if you want to be intellectually honest, you can no longer be an atheist or you, know, you can no longer take atheism seriously. You can say I'm agnostic. I have questions. I don't believe the way you do. But the evidence, let, let's just put it this way. In none of our lives has ha, has the evidence been like this. This is a gift from God that he would now give us these different pieces of evidence. And there's stuff, of course, I haven't mentioned, but we didn't have it 50 years ago. 50 years ago, it was logical to say science is leading us away from God. But the Lord in his mercy has given us more and more evidence so that now it is logical to say it looks like God is real. Even if I'm not sure, 
that's where the evidence is pointing. See, Eric, I don't. I actually think that we've had plenty of clear evidence for the existence of God, especially from the scripture saying that the heavens declare the glory of God. I think that we're just now being able to see in some way. So I, I don't doubt that. What I completely agree with you that God has given us the ability to see more. Yeah. But the evidence has been screaming since the creation of the world. But here's here's what I want to I want to get to before you have to go. Um, because this is you wrote the book on Bonhoeffer, and I'm, when we when I, Gabe told me that we were going to have you on the show, I said, I got to talk to him about this. Yeah. One, know, of my, one of my favorite books you've written hands, yeah. hands down. Um, yeah. One of the questions I have, when you were talking about scientists not coming out full-fledged and with what they know to be true, we're, we're kind of in a situation right now where there's this kind of shroud again over the science community, and people are telling you to believe the science. Believe and, the COVID and, science. And, and, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm going back and looking at the science that we've had on, on, on COVID, or not COVID, but um, um, certain types of uh, respiratory viruses, viral infections, how we deal with masks, whether or not they work. I'm going back and reading all this, and I'm realizing, man, this doesn't add up. We haven't had any randomized control testing done that proves that masks work, and yet they're telling us masks work. And, and, and so I just, I'm not believing anything that's going on when I actually look at the science. But that's not the problem that I have. So we can argue about the virus and the vaccine, whether we should get it. Everybody should make their own choice. The problem that I'm having is that I'm seeing a whole new world created around this idea of believe the science. Kind of the same world that was created around black people not being human or Jews being dirty or the culture from science was backing that up from the culture of the 1930s even to the 1940s 50s and 60s feels like it's being pushed back again where we got a new form of segregation people are starting to literally be marked clean Look, and unclean exactly correct yeah i agree with every syllable of what you just said this is why i have hope people are waking up it's gotten so dramatic it's gotten so out of control that your average american is looking around thinking you know what I'm not buying this. There's too much information that they don't want me to talk about. They don't want me to see. Your average American knows something is wrong. And in Nazi Germany, look, they ha it's always fake science, right? In Nazi Germany, mm. you know, the idea that we're going to use racial science to show that uh, Jews are inferior, that Slavs are inferior. It's no different than the, the, than the fake science that tried to prove blacks are inferior. I mean, there are always people using the word science. Mm, that's good. Lie. It's yeah. satanic. It's satanic lies. We, in our day and age, are, uh, by the grace of God, I believe, being allowed to wake up to see how bad it is. Yeah. Now, it's always been this bad, but sometimes the enemy overplays his hand in such a way that more people wake up. That's part of, of what I'm excited about with the book is I think something is happening where people who were hanging back on the faith stuff, mm. they're starting to see why is it that the Christians are so outspoken about, uh, you know, the vaccine stuff, uh, uh, voter fraud. In other words, they, they seem to be thinking for themselves and everybody mm. else is afraid. Well, wasn't that the case in Germany uh, where uh, you, you had a government saying, shut up, you can't talk about that, you can't talk about that. The problem is right. the German church did not wake up in time. No. I believe the American church is slowly waking up. And by God's grace, we are going to see revival. We're going to see pushback. And I believe the Lord allowed me to write my Bonhoeffer book almost as a prophetic thing to say to the church, do you see this story? This is exactly what happens to you if you don't wake up, if you don't uh, read the signs, discern what is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit, discern it and act, stand and fight. So I talk about that on my radio program. I talk about it wherever I go. 
uh, I, I agree totally. We are living through the craziest times in any of our lives, yeah. but it's God's mercy to wake up a sleeping church. Amen. Mm, I wow. got one more question. We no. got to let him go. I get the last question. Why do you get last, this? Last is so question. racist. Right, Eric, you see this? <laughs> do you see how much the brother has been allowed to speak? <laughs> you see this? Open and shut racism. We can all see Open it. and shut. Thank Open you. and shut. Thank you. Um, go be racist. Uh, I, I hope you're right about the church waking up. I really do. Um, in this new kind of world that you see developing in the next 20 years, I, I feel like California is going to go its way. You know, Idaho, South Dakota, Florida. I think I, I feel like actually a consolidation of, of conservative states and liberal states is going to start happening. In fact, in Idaho, if you know anything about our moving, uh, our in migration right now, it's crazy. We got tons of people coming from California, Washington, and so forth. What do you think like this new, you know, shakeup is going to look like over the next 10, 20, 30 years? On that, I have no idea. I'll be honest with you. I don't think, on the one hand, I don't think we can know. But I will tell you this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been encouraged. Yes. I really believe that God is, now we are in a battle. And if the church doesn't fight with everything we have, and when I say fight, I mean, you know, be willing to die for the truth. Mm. Amen. We're not supposed to fear death. Jesus defeated death on the cross. That's not a metaphor. If you live that, like Bonhoeffer, you're going to change the world. And I believe that there are people in the church that are getting that. I think that there are a lot of patriots coming to faith uh, at this time because they're, they're reading. They're saying that why are the Christians on the right side of this? Uh, and the, the secularists and my friends are, are not. Something is happening in America. So I am generally very hopeful if we are willing to really fight, really fight God will be with us and we'll have a new birth of freedom uh, in the way that uh, Lincoln, I believe, was speaking prophetically when he said that. So I'm, in, I'm very encouraged. Mm. And, and, and I, as I say, writing a book like Is Atheism Dead? I think this is going to help people say, what was I thinking? Yeah, this is all true. God is real. The Bible is real. Let's live it out. Amen. Mm. Is Atheism Dead by Eric Metaxas? Where can people buy that book at, Eric? Well, they can get it literally 45% off if they pre-order it at my website, ericmetaxas.com. Dot com. It's just my name. And I mean, that's exclusive this, to the show. You want, <laughs> but my name is Eric Metaxas. And if you go to ericmetaxas.com, there's a link. I think the Baker link, it's 45% off. So I'm yeah. hoping uh, people will get it for friends. Mm. That's awesome. Hey, Eric, man, we have to have you back on. I yeah, love man. talking to you yeah. more. <laughs> Any, anytime. It's a joy to know you guys are out there. So be in touch. No, God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless more you Cross too. Politic coming up next. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations. Our most precious commodity is time. No one has ever lied on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time making money. They all wish they had spent more time creating a legacy. Our modern education system steals that legacy, steals that time from our children. That's why I'm passionate about homeschooling. That's why at Classical Conversations we want to give you more time to create that legacy, follow your passions, and glorify God. Visit classicalconversations.com for more information. Toby would already start talking by now. I feel like it's a football. We're on my time frame. <laughs> yeah, we Welcome are. back to Cross Politic. Yeah. Obviously, by now you see that Pastor Toby <clears throat> left us. I miss him. He already. left us in the studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, but <laughs> bad we, idea. <laughs> bad idea. He doesn't know what's going to go down on the third segment. It just is what it is. I'd like to welcome back into the studio. Yeah. Dr. Rod Store, he is the Fight Laugh Feast Network doctor. Is that is that official? I, or is that, I mean, I, I guess know. you needed a doctor. We, 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 we did. More than you know. <laughs> yeah. He's also the host of Mere Medicine, 
and owns uh, Story Family Medicine here in town. Thank you for coming back on the show, Dr. Glad Story. Glad to be here. Thanks for giving the opportunity. Yeah, and Pastor Toby usually yells in that microphone, so it's kind of set for him, so you're going to have to either, be a little little louder. Yeah. either, yeah. either yeah. yell yeah, into it or yeah. get closer, which one yeah. you, you like. <laughs> All right, so this this last week, um, uh, Project Veritas, kind of, uh, they're an uh, undercover kind of organization that tries to discover um, controversy or discover news going undercover. They just want people to, to be stings. honest. They, they want people to be honest. But they yeah. do stings. And uh, they kind of targeted Pfizer, apparently, this last couple months or whatever, however long it takes them to kind of get what they need. And a, a whistleblower kind of came out from under the organization of Pfizer because she had discovered a number of emails from executives within Pfizer kind of talking about um, the fetal tissue that was potentially either used to develop or test the vaccine. And I want to play a little clip from Project Veritas here before we get into this. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, I just believe in research and science. Well, in this database, you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the COVID vaccine. Vanessa Gelman, who works in Washington, D.C., is senior director of Worldwide Research. The question came up as an inquiry to our MedInfo group. They're asking, quote, did Pfizer make use of a cell line from an aborted fetus? They want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. And here we have your badge. You are an employee of Pfizer? I work at the McPherson, Kansas plant. Um, it's one of the biggest plants in the operation of Pfizer. We produce some of the most units. This message from Vanessa Gilman. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. We have not received any questions from policymakers or media on this issue in the last few weeks, so we want to avoid raising this if possible. So, apparently... Is my understanding that we knew that Pfizer was already using fetal tissues in in the testing of the vaccine? That's correct. We already knew that. But what she's exposing here is the fact that the executives were saying, hey, let's try to bury this and keep it out of the news as much as possible. Well, it's it's interesting because I think that it would be uh, a significant source of concern for many faithful people who may not uh, be aware that this is actually a very common practice in not only the production of vaccines in general, but also many medical therapies. But a common practice to use fetal tissue? Common uh, practice in, in a lot of medicine uh, to do testing on it for pharmaceuticals and meds, but also to produce those medications and vaccines. So, Doc, could you help me understand this? So when we talk about fetal tissue, we're talking about aborted fetus, and what are they using? Are they using? I think in this they talk about using the kidneys. Right, they talk about a heck. I think it was something. Correct. Yeah, so you know what that is. Absolutely. Okay. So these are names that are given to cell lines. They're usually named after the lab that created the cell line. A cell line is basically just a tissue in a petri dish, um, for to kind of put it in a very plain sense. Yeah. Um, what we know about um, cell lines is that you can create these cell lines, uh, and they're basically single cells, but they carry the signature of the person that they were taken from. Yeah. Um, We've had a number of them that have been used since the 1960s and 70s and then became legal under uh, President Bush in, 19, or in 2000 uh, under federal uh, edict from him. Wow. So um, 
you mentioned when we talked offline earlier, you mentioned that like the, the first like fetal cells to be used and studied and used for these kind of purposes was developed from like a husband and wife scientist or something? Yes. I mean, each of these, you can actually go online and I would encourage people to do that. It takes a little bit of hunt and peck because it's, it's just not out there. Although pro-life groups have been talking about this for some time. So uh, it's, it's a bit to our shame that we're not as an evangelical church more aware that this is a problem. Hmm. Essentially it begins by aborting a child. Usually that child has to be um, taken in whole Delivered that way, and the tissues removed oh. before they have expired. Think um, donating a organ. Wow. You don't want a dead organ. If you're going to donate, you need to donate from living to living, essentially. So, uh, so a husband and wife scientist yeah. did this. So this was uh, there, several of those cell lines um, in, involved tissues that were taken unknowingly from uh, from from some people, and the, uh, we'll include a link after the show here to to one of those horrific stories. Some of them were donated by people who said, hey, we're going to have a child, and we want to give this uh, child and abort this child for the purpose of developing a cell line. It's, it's horrific if you uh-huh. read the history. And this has been done over the last uh, several decades. So, so, talk, so <laughs> let me just want to swallow some You're of kind of losing some no, words here. Yeah, uh, I am. No, because I'm seeing it, and it's, it's bothering me. Sure. Um, but what, so that's one thing, the testing. We see, you said uh, this, ha- this is common practice inside the medical industry to, to test, right, on fetal tissue. But is it, it, and with the vaccine, a lot of people are asking, is it inside of the vaccine itself? And so the arguments that I've heard is that, and I even heard that it wasn't tested with Pfizer. I, I believe Jay Bhattacharya was the one who told us that it wasn't tested inside. Pfizer didn't use fetal tissue testing. Now that's why they're having this because it's turned out that they, they did, or at least it looks like that. But what's actually in the vaccine? Well, you know, we, uh, we have to take at their word some of this conversation. Um, but it does open up a, a need for us to independently verify that what is in vaccines is what the pharmaceutical companies are saying. And what the FDA is for, though? Well, uh, you would think it would be. You have, to, you have to realize that the FDA does not consider this to be a problem, uh, doesn't consider it to be a moral quandary, uh, is more looking at, uh, enabling pharmaceutical companies to be able to provide a, a, a product and get its market. So I, I, I want one clarification here before we move forward. There's a lot, I think, moving forward. But one of the things that we talked about earlier offline was that these fetal cells were, you know, kind of a, uh, taken from aborted fetus back in the 60s, 70s, and so forth. And they're still around because it's kind of like, um, you know, yeast. Uh, you, you create kind of a yeast that you'd use for bread. Well, you can use that yeast and replicate that yeast for a bunch of bread over time. Yeah, it, and that's what really the fetal cell is. It. Um, yeast cells are very similar to human cells, and it's oh. basically like having a starter that you just get going, yep. and you keep making more of the starter, and you use the starter for the batch of bread. Why is this done? Well, creating a single cell line is a really unique way of creating a medication or a therapy. We use cell lines that are not human, and and that's what's remarkable is there's really great alternatives from monkey kidneys, from dog retinas, doesn't carry the same ethical problem, but creates the, the same unique technology for creating medications. So basically what it does is it takes those cells, those mammalian cells, and it makes them into little factories. Huh. Mm. And we can use those. We can turn on the DNA, turn off the DNA, introduce viruses into them, and use those tissues to create something on the other side and then collect that product. So pretty, pretty wild stuff. But what you distinguishes this is this is unique human DNA. This is from a specific individual uh-huh. 
Huh. And it's then carried on in perpetuity. For now, decades, 50, decades. 50 but, years, whatever. But if we were to take yeah. this tissue, it still contains the unique DNA from the little girl that was aborted that started oh. this whole process. That, that's a problem, Doc. It's a serious problem, and it's not just uh, isolated to vaccination, uh, COVID <laughs> vaccinations. I'm glad that we're using this to talk about it because it's also measles, mumps, rubella. It's the only way that Merck makes that vaccine, and it's not available in any other way. It's the only way that the varicella chickenpox vaccine is made is with embryonic stem cells. Stop it. Aborted children tissue. It's the uh, way that it's actually made. It's not even tested. It's actually made with aborted that way. And that's, I think, probably the big question that's being that's hanging here over Pfizer. And I'm glad that we're asking questions. Questions are what drives good journalism. Mm -hmm. Questions also is what drives good medicine. We should be asking Mm. questions. We can't even have that question. Uh, I hope we can have that question. I hope we can talk about it with people. I hope people of believing uh, of deep belief would stop and say, what are we doing and push back? So if we can, why? I remember the conversation back in early 2000 when when everybody was arguing over adult stem cells, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or, you know, child, child, what do they call them? Embryonic, embryonic, uh, embryonic, fetal. I mean, there's lots of terms that we use as euphemisms to really say this is an aborted child. Right. So, but why, why aren't we using adult stem cells? You would, are, are there, why are they not a, an option? And for that matter, so with, with the ethical issue, I feel like we're back in a eugenics setup again. Um, you know, but it's okay in one sense or it's shrouded. Uh, a it's more. science. And, you know what I mean? I'm just trying to uh, understand. You know, we're that. using tissues from people that didn't give that tissue. And that's one of the things that's probably most problematic. We're, we're taking it from unborn children and using it and, and that as a black man you know that has been done horribly yeah to b- people who are of african descent they've had their tissues they've been experimented on this is just not all that different it's just tuskegee yeah it's in it's in the lab it's hidden it's buried in emails it's understood we just we just seem to not pay attention or care so i think part of the question is but we couldn't get the help that we're getting from these vaccines any other way. Oh, uh, no, no, no. That's so not true. So that's the conversation here. Is there another way? And there's yeah. so many other ways. Whether to use cell lines that are derived from animals, which, as we understand, as we're Christians, we understand that, that, that animals were given as a dominion to use, mm. use thoughtfully, carefully. But we can create the same vaccines, the same products, and we already do. So uh, one of the flu vaccines that's out this year uses uh, an animal kidney tissue, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it does exactly what these uh, is producing these vaccines very much the same way as these COVID vaccines. Can't we take uh, cell lines from even, like, live people, you we know, sure like could. humans? Absolutely. So why um, do we need to kill a baby to, to take life, or, or live cells from it? Uh, maybe we're lazy. It's it, the uh, embryos have uh, uh, what is called pluripotent cells. Although, honestly, if you look in humans, adult humans, we still find that those cells, those cells that can really turn into any tissue, are still present with us. Um, it's just uh, I, I think we've allowed a, a rot in the system, and we haven't addressed it. And we haven't, as thoughtful believers, pushed back and said, we will not take this. Mm. Let's, let's give us an alternative. So this was illegal until George Bush made it legal. So we're still doing it. It was accepted practice in the medical field, but then George Bush made it legal. This was snuck into labs that were using this for decades. Uh, And then George Bush 
kind of came to an agreement of like, well, since we're already doing these, right. let's mm-hmm. make these cell lines usable since the child's already gone. The cell lines are here. Maybe there's some good science that come with it. It's kind of the idea of roadkill. We've hit the deer. Let's harvest the meat. Um, but we're talking humans. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of people who have been claiming religious exemptions because they've had this concern. And one of the things that I've seen pushed back on these Christians who are claiming religious exemptions is the fact that you didn't claim religious exemptions for some of these other vaccines. Mm. So, therefore, you can't claim religious exemptions for this one. But if your information and your knowledge of what was been going on wasn't the same at that point, why wouldn't it apply that you could – something so new is – offer myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I vaccinated my children. Uh, I, I think vaccine – is a considerate way of addressing some pretty bad illnesses. And, and, and I think it's a way of priming our, vac, our uh, immune system to be able to be prepared for dealing with something bad. So um, thoughtfully used vaccines for my kids, found out after the fact, after medical school. So I went to medical school and was never taught these things, how mm. these vaccines are made. Wow. Never thought to ask, just took it along until I was well into practice as a family doctor and it began coming across my radar by thoughtful Christians who were saying, hey, can you check this out? Uh, I'm hearing something about embryonic stem cells. That's a f- aborted children, right? Mm. Uh, and I began looking, in, and we, we, we kind of came to a point of, like, grievously realizing this is so widespread in medicine. And not just medicine. What's amazing is it's actually used through a lot of industry to create, um, oh, all sorts of chemicals. Don't ruin my life. Don't ruin my yeah. life, Doc. Well, well no, I got a list here. So oh, they boy. were used. So embryonic um, stem cells were used in the testing of Tylenol, Advil, Motrin, Sudafed, Benadryl, Claritin, Robitussin, um, all the way down to hydroxychloroquine. Well, how many of us have taken Tylenol <laughs> this week? And are we? Yeah. Are Not we, this week. I'm good, Doc. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Some of us are more into the naturopathic <laughs> aspects. Like, this is fun. <laughs> I'm punchy. You know me too well. This is my doctor. Uh, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't stop there. I mean, it was an amazing case where PepsiCo had a subsidiary that was de- developing flavors for many of their products using fetal stem cells. And that was just five, cent, five ten years stop ago. Stop it. Thankfully, there was enough outcry from some people that, that, that found out, probably from things like this, that we... We got an alternative. They stopped. At least maybe it's gone under Did the radar. PepsiCo. PepsiCo. Why do we need stem cells to make flavors? Uh, well, you know, stick with RC Cola. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, though. But we don't to make a flavor. It's just it's a it's a pretty amazing technology. It's it's really on the level of hideous strength where we. We create this amazing technology all with the goal of like, wow, gee whiz, the what world. can we do? Yeah. And we never stop to say, why are we using this product that came from humans to do this? Not just humans, but the most innocent of humans, the unborn. Well, How, you know, go, go ahead, Gabe. I got a question about the – so the, there's, there's aborted fetuses are, and cells are being used in two different ways. One in the actual creation of the cocktail of the vaccine, mm-hmm. and then the other in the testing. Now, some are just some of the vaccines just used it for testing. Some of the vaccines just used it actually used it in the cocktail so and the, the making block, of this it. This is the blockbuster that that comes out of this conversation with Pfizer. Is Pfizer actually producing the vaccine? That part isn't clear yet. Yeah, yeah. Yep. When they maybe have been saying that they haven't, uh-huh. and we've been depending on them to be forthright because uh-huh. we've known right from the beginning, and 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 people who were who were willing to ask the question 
were able to find out pretty early on that all of the vaccines were developed using embryonic stem cells, all the COVID vaccines. Yep. Two of them, the Pfizer and the Moderna, reportedly not using them to produce the vaccine. But for testing. They used the cells for testing. testing. Yes. Now, an ethical question here. So, um, hands down, I have a 100% ethical problem with the actual development used in the cocktail, with the embryo mm-hmm. fetus used in the cocktail. Um, how do we view embryonic cells being used in the testing of that? Vaccine. Well, I, is there a I, distinction there? Or I don't it, think there's a distinction. Yeah. I think it shouldn't be used ever. Yeah. And, and and just because our president um, four times ago decided that we should allow this for scientific study just because it's already been done. It's insane. Uh, I mean, it's it's you can think about a lot of other scenarios that would make us go no way, no how, um, such as um, wow. That that Nazi doctor Mendel and he, he did some uh, really cool studies on genetics. Well, let's let's uh, see what we can mine out of his data from Auschwitz, and and maybe we'll pull some good out of that horrific. Uh, there, when the the old the the old terms, the means, the end justifying yeah. the means, like uh-huh. like that's a that's a illogical, uh, unethical approach to to uh, treating our our fellow human beings. And it and it matters because the conversation is about throwaway humans. Yeah. The conversation that we'll be facing is well, people are making embryos left and right and and they're trying to, you know, have children, they make 20 of them and they only implant two and then they've got a bunch of these leftovers. Shouldn't we yeah. maybe honor those unborn children by using their tissue uh it, it, it's a really twisty twisty turn that we're seeing and it's just one of many um conversations that as christians we're like oh, i don't know how to how to address this it's this crazy technology right where we should have drawn the line is that we don't use unborn children and we don't kill them for purposes you know it's funny i've started to realize a lot more lately that how we line up on the issue of life all the way through Human, be- what is a human being all the way through really does matter to our legislation. If you mm. don't value life at, in the womb at the beginning, at that very point, the most vulnerable, then the legislation that comes eventually down the line, the domino effect is in now you're going to get a pro-choice legislation uh-huh. in everything, That's not right. in, in your yeah. building, <laughs> right? In yeah. your, in your living, in your, your gasoline, your tax, all that stuff has to do with how you value human life at the most vulnerable part. And so, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Doc. If you no, want to but, you know, as Christians, this has always been how we've been salt and light in culture. Christians were the ones that were picking up the babies off the mm. dung heap in Rome, the throwaway babies, the ones that no one else would care for. And we said, that's life, and we will love that. That mm. is in, made in the image of our Creator. We know now that that life extends all the way down to the very smallest cell, the very mm, right. first fertilized child um, that is a unique individual made in God's image. And it doesn't, there's no dividing line. There's no magical breath that comes at 20 days. Mm-hmm. There's no magic that comes when the heartbeat suddenly is recorded. Mm-hmm. It's a child all the way through. Mm-hmm. And, and we know it, and we know it in full, and we should speak boldly. So I want to maybe um, kind of put a challenge in here. So um, we have a problem with taking a, a fetus, a dead baby, and uh, kind of harvesting it, mm. whether it's its cells, organs, whatever. It sounds like that. It, being dead, <laughs> they start harvesting before that part. Well, and that is honestly one of the questions that came out of uh, uh, the investigative journalism that uh, yeah. David Delight in California, yeah. that's right, yes. and now is coming out of the University of Pittsburgh, where yep. they're they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, these these uh, late term abortions are being done in such a way that the child's still living, which makes sense if oh. you're a scientist because you want that. you want that. 
but how abhorrent, but how that's pathetic sick. are we that, that we have to wait for that to, to make Come us that's get sick. our hackles up and rise. So, so the challenge is, I want to challenge you on is, so when my dad died, um, he was, um, you know, brain dead after four days mm-hmm. and, and we, we took him off life support mm-hmm. and, but we donated his eyes to, mm-hmm. to someone who needed eyes so they could see. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom signing the paperwork and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, we don't have a problem with that. Why do we have a problem with harvesting a, a baby that didn't make it and died? And, and you know, part of it is choice, isn't it? So uh, recognizing that the individual made a decision to be able to donate. Or which my dad did. Which my dad did. Yeah. My, uh-huh. I have a brother that, that had that as a living wish. It wasn't able to be fulfilled for him. But it was good to know that that was a choice that he made. This is one of the most remarkable things that we offer as believers is that it's in, we cannot violate someone's ability to make a choice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And hence mandates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, right. it's, it's right. one of the most grievous things that we're starting to do is not only are we uh, requiring everybody to, to receive something that they might have an ethical uh-huh. obligation to oppose, but then we're requiring them on, on pain of loss of income mm-hmm. uh, on, uh, uh, to receive something that, that's, so and, one more, and to undergo a medical procedure. One more press on that. My, um, you know, my mom signed the papers. She, because dad was dead, he, he couldn't say, yeah, take my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. My mom signed the papers. What's the difference between a mom and dad signing the papers for their baby to become a medical help mm. or experience? The, 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 I think the other aspect of that is the, 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 the natural death has already occurred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about a child, we're life talking about lived, purposely yeah. ending that child's life mm-hmm. and then giving that tissue away. It, it's an action of, mur- of taking a life, which is murder in every aspect of god's law which is what was some of these fetal you know starter culture starters but it's another reason that, that we from. That, that we we don't actively take people's lives and say hey uh, you want a like, kidney now well you know they're doing that in china <laughs> yeah uh, oh, they're, they're taking uh, harvesting uh, they're ending prisoners lives That's on right. purpose and then taking their their vital organs and wow. they're ending their lives in such a way that it that they're actually not quite dead when they're removing it you, you, yeah, oh horrific, but you don't have to go very far to actually find the evidence for that. We just prefer not to look. This goes back to how you value human life all yeah, the way through, through and through. Right. Um, Doc, before we go, um, I'm going to give you the last word here. There are a lot of people who are probably just now understanding some of this for the first time mm-hmm. and are grieved, and rightly so. How, what, what should we do? Could you kind of just walk us through uh, like how, to, how, to, how to operate? Yeah. So let's, let's start with where we all need to start, which is when we have something in our culture that we discover that is obvious, deeply broken, sinful. We need to repent as a culture, mm. and we need to repent on behalf of our culture. And then we need to go worship the one true and living God, and we need to do that together. And then we need to talk as, as a body of Christ into how are we going to live? How should we then live when we have this? this information, this knowledge. We begin in part by the way that we conduct ourselves in our communities and our families. Um, and then we, we should speak out with one voice and mm. say, no, this cannot continue. Mm. That's happened throughout history. It's happened in Rome, and it happened, yeah. uh, and it transformed cultures uh, remarkably uh, within, within centuries. And now we're very short-sighted. But within centuries, it re- remarkably changed the Holy pagan, holy self-centered culture into a remarkably different. Amen. And it did it. It did so in an eighteen hundred Victorian England, and it did so in mid eighteen hundreds yep. in the United States when we needed to deal, start treating our fellow uh, yep. black man as as one of our brothers. And it should happen now. Mm. Beer medicine. 
on our network. On the network, yeah. Doc. Thank you so much thank for coming you. and setting yep. it straight for us. Yep. <laughs> Gabe needed a lot of help. Right. <laughs> I had a lot of questions. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics, right? Thanks, Doc. American colleges have become more hostile to the faith of young Christians than the beaches of Normandy were to the Allies. Literally. Undergraduate training wasn't always a death trap of unbelief. Once, colleges were boot camps for body, mind, and soul. Now, most college students spend their days in tax-funded adult daycares with all the intellectual rigor of lazy rivers, safe spaces, and complimentary condoms. And in our recent COVID faux-pocalypse, those daycares became prisons almost overnight. Cover your face. Line up for your shot, stay in your room, but don't worry, the condoms were still complimentary. At New St. Andrews, you are not on vacation, you are not in daycare, and you won't be herded into a dorm. From week one, you will be treated like an adult. You are responsible for paying your own rent and developing your own grocery budget. Or going hungry. Get a shot, or don't. Mask up, or don't. Most of our students even work part-time jobs on top of the 40-hour class workload. It's part of the anti-fragile hustle and grind that distinguishes our graduates from the majority of their own generation and that employers and graduate schools love. Most college graduates in the U.S. are stuck paying off loans for years. New St. Andrews sets you up to graduate debt-free and dangerous, ready to pursue grad school, a family, or business opportunities in the real world without any reliance on pork subsidies from Mother America and with no weepy need for safe spaces. The real world isn't a cushy place. No one owes you success. You are entitled to exactly jack squat in this life. But rich or poor, unlike your face or your freedom, your job or your business, an education and the ability to think clearly can never be taken from you as long as you are still above ground. Not by petty tyrants or cowardly clergy, not by thoughtless mobs or lab coat megalomaniacs. At New St. Andrews College, you'll learn from teachers whose ideas equipped men and women to build Western civilization in the first place, and which will be used again to defend and rebuild what has been lost as the West has faltered into decay, losing her faith and her mind. Yes, most of our best teachers are dead. But our classical Christian liberal arts education is how we've been graduating thoughtful, articulate outlaws and leaders with spines for the last quarter century. The intellectual and theological bedrock beneath the Judeo-Christian West is what you'll study, engage with, write about and own. It is what you'll debate in class and present in public as you learn to live like forbidden fire, surrounded by the darkness of unbelief, manifesting God's truth, goodness and beauty to all who live around you. Training like this can't happen over Zoom. At New St. Andrews, we believe whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of real or virtual fools will suffer harm. Your peers shouldn't be your spiritual leaders. You should have a real flesh and blood in-person church for that. NSA is in the heart of downtown Moscow, Idaho, where you will witness men and women building Christendom on every corner. Where else are you going to be able to break bread in your professors' homes, debate great literature with them while their kids are playing, sing psalms while being arrested with them, catch turtles with them? No one comes to NSA to get lost in the crowd. You might be able to hide in a graduating class of thousands, but our classes are better measured in dozens. You will grow in this program or you will tap out. And when you finish, you'll be ready for life in whatever moments and scenes and struggles God may have prepared for you. We are training students who worship and march and study and fellowship and sing and write and start businesses and raise kids that no one can mask 
cancel or bury. We follow the King of Kings who knew the way through the mob and out of the grave. We fight to rebuild Christendom in the ruins, in our families, and in our businesses, in the cities where we live, in the countries where we go, in the congregations where we worship. Your mom may worry that Moscow, Idaho is many miles from home. She should worry more about how spiritually distant even a nearby godless campus is. After four years in a Christian community like ours, you will grow much closer to your family. Don't stay distant. Click the link today to schedule a visit to New St. Andrews College.